Welcome in, boys and girls. It's your Monday edition of the Full 10 Yards podcast. Another week of NFL action near enough in the book. So you've got me hosting this week. It's Sean, and I'm joined this week by Tim. So how are you, my friend? Yeah, very well, mate. Very well. Dallas on the 6 o'clock game this week. So, uh, yeah, no, not, well, I say not a ba- not late to bed, but uh, you know what it's like when you're watching Red Zone at 12, 12.30 in the morning. Certainly do, mate. I've had some good news today that the Browns' upcoming fixture has been flexed. We'll talk about that a little bit later on, and we'll get straight into it, mate. Let's get into first down and talk about those games that graced our TV screens this weekend. First down. So, first game of the week, Thursday night football. Really quiet one, mate, this one, wasn't it? Hardly made any news whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, even even made the second most read article on the BBC Sport website, so you know it was a really thrilling, entertaining, high-scoring affair from two sides that were just you know absolutely bound for the Super Bowl. <laughs> if only any of that were true, it was a god awful game. Uh, I say that obviously as a Browns fan on the right side of the scoreline here, twenty-one-seven to the Browns in a game that they pretty much dominated. To be fair, um, from start to finish, almost a replica of the Browns. Sort of season in a nutshell, a great opening drive by the offence, ball moving with ease um, through the air and on the ground, and then you know pretty much stalled from there on out. Uh, a pretty awful game, I would suggest, if you were a neutral. Um, not a great deal of offence from the Steelers, which has been a concern that I've talked about. You know, the defence has kept them competitive in games, and even here in this one, they only give up 21 points, but come nowhere near causing the upset victory. Um, I say the upset victory. <laughs> I was going to say, bloody hell, you've, based, uh, you've, based on the play, based on the play. Boulders brass now. Exactly. Two game winning streak. That's it, mate. Focusing <laughs> for the playoffs. Mate, um, comparing yourself to the Dolphins. Yeah, absolutely, mate. All joking <laughs> aside, it might be a little more difficult for the Browns to get anywhere near the playoffs, even as remote a possibility as that may have been, with the obvious big talking point, which we're not going to spend too long on now because we're going to get into it later. Um, but obviously the helmet swinging of Miles Garrett is the thing that took all the headlines from this game. Completely bizarre, really, and we're not going to throw Freddie in his corner this week. We uh, are going to rest Jason Garrett corner for a week, but almost questionable as to why your best defensive player is on the field for a meaningless snap at the end of the game. But that being said, um, you know, a completely bonkers sec- um decision from Garrett which will probably live with him now for the rest of his career um, and he's going to have to obviously deal with his punishment we'll talk about that a little bit later in terms of whether we feel that punishment was right, wrong or indifferent um, I have no idea what Tim's view on that is so it'll be interesting when we get in there actually won't surprise you I'm going to defend the Browns player when it comes to that argument <laughs> Um in terms of the game, though, in, in terms of the context of it, you know, called it on Thursday's podcast, it is an important victory um, for the Browns and a disappointing loss, therefore, for the Steelers in, a, in an AFC wildcard race that I think 9-7 and seven is going to get somebody in. I think there could be an awful lot of tiebreakers come the end of it. Um, but importantly for the Browns and any remote possibility they would have, they're now 2-0 and in the division and have still got a couple of games coming up against the Dolphins and the Bengals, so you would expect them to to continue moving positively in terms of putting wins into that column. So we shall see how it goes. Uh, First game that was on at the Sky Sports docket yesterday, mate, was the Texans and the Ravens. Yeah, a bit of a... I suppose you can look at this game in two ways, really, because it would be like a really bad game because it was a blowout or a really good game because you got to see some... uh, some more quality from Lamar Jackson, but yeah, blowout in this one. Watson uh, never lost a game previously by more than eight points prior to this one, so I know I guess you can say he's never been beaten by more than 34 points if you want to uh, twist the stats uh, however you want to do. Um, your fans obviously chanting at uh, Bank Stadium uh, MVP uh, throughout, and Mark Ingram uh, clearly, uh, by judging by this clip, he's uh, already announced who the MVP winner is. Now I would just like to introduce y'all to the man, the myth, the legend, the MVP front runner. If anybody else got to say something different about that, then come see me. Yeah. I'm right here in Beemore outside the bank. If you got an issue with that, come see me. Whoopie. I'm about that. Whoopie. Big trust. Whoopie. Woo woo. Lamar Jackson Whoopie. in the flesh. Whoopie. Yes, sir. Big trust. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I'm with you. 
So yeah, I think he's calling you out there, Sean. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think Lawrence has, has developed himself a little army, hasn't he? To be honest, everyone <laughs> seems to be jumping on that hype train. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, obviously, my it's quite just very strange that if you if you haven't seen that, I'll try and retweet that out as well. Um, yeah, obviously, Mark Ingram knows who, who, who he thinks the MVP is for the season. So, um, you know, seven hundred eighty eight rushing yards now on the season for Lamar Jackson. Obviously, yeah, Michael Vick's record of uh, ten thirty nine looking more minuscule by the game. Uh, another eighty six on the ground in this one, but. I must admit, I do one thing I do enjoy passing wise about Lamar Jackson is his passing around the band, the the edge of the end zone, uh, red zone, where he just throws some absolute dimes into the middle of the red zone. Seth Roberts and Mark Andrews again this week, but um, week after week he, you know, he has these touchdowns where they are, de- you know, decent zip on the ball, but it's absolutely perfect touch, absolutely perfect placement. Um, so yeah, you know, we always talk and wax lyrical about how how much he does with his legs and he's in the threat there, but it's always nice to. To see some passes like that that are, are on the money, but uh, I think you have to probably give out a word, a, a shout out to the defense on this one. Marlon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith, Marcus Peters uh, seems really seems to be uh, the missing piece of that that back end there as well. So I think that's his what is his second pick six since he's joined. So obviously he's showing that um, that he was the best side of that trade that trade at the moment. Uh, in terms of you know what what went on, it got exchanged there. But um, yeah, that that Ravens D as well stacked they sacked. Uh, Sean Watson, I think, was what, seven times, I think, something, uh, including obviously a first drive fumble, uh, just snuffed out any any chances that Houston had uh, early on in this one, and say the uh, yeah, it was just dead, it was dead from from there there on out, to be honest. But I'm, I'm surprised actually Lamar Jackson stayed in as long as he did again uh, this game. But um, yeah, no no harm done. Next up for the Ravens, uh, can they keep rolling? They've got the Rams and the 49ers uh, the next two weeks on the slate as well. So uh, be interesting to see if they can you know the, the the competition's ramping up a little bit now for them. So can they keep the the momentum going, keep the the pressure going on to the Patriots? Uh, and then for the Texans, obviously a massive game uh, Thursday night football against the Colts uh, in what could be go a long way towards um yeah deciding the division title there yeah absolutely it's a it is a really big one all of a sudden now thursday i think that's a division that we've said it'll, it'll be nip and tuck the whole way um and that head-to-head could become very very important indeed uh you mentioned the patriots there they still do pace the afc after eking out a bit of an ugly win it's got to be said against the eagles in the late sky game um a game here that Tom Brady actually had the most incompletions in the first half of his career, yeah. 14 incompletions, um, and an offence that just continues to struggle. Uh, we've said it all season long and nothing appears to be changing anytime soon, getting nothing going on the ground. Sony Michelle only got 33 yards off his 10 carries. A um, little bit of running back by committee, as is always the case in New England. James White and Rex Burkhead combined for 34 yards on 10 carries between them. Um, so certainly not getting any sort of level of productivity, even the little dump-offs out into the guys in the backfield. James White, you know, his usual seven targets out the backfield, but only caught four of those for a grand total of 16 yards. And there's just not any explosiveness coming out of this offence at all. The trade for Mohamed Sanu, um, you know, it's going to take him some time to get up to speed with the playbook, but in this one, he went for two receptions for four yards. Um so it's really not pretty whatsoever. The only touchdown pass of the game actually didn't even come from Tom Brady. Yeah. Um, came from Julian Edelman, who has got a pretty phenomenal record throwing the ball, it's got to be said, for his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually him that found um, Philippe Dorsett um, for the only scoring um, touchdown in this one. Um, well, for the Patriots, that is. Um, the Eagles work much better, it's got to be said, offensively. Carson Wentz only, um, only completing 50% of his passes, 20 of 40 for 214 yards. And again, their run game, getting nothing going in this one. They were down Jordan Howard, who was probably emerged, I would say, as the sort of premier back in that offence. Uh, he was down for this one. Mar Sanders took the bulk of the carries, but again, not doing anything really with those 38 yards from 11 attempts. Credit where it's due here on both of these sides, though, to the defences. And, you know, Brady himself has come out and said this is exactly where the strength of this Patriot team is. And that's not a big shock for anybody that is watching this. You know, once again, New England, um, you know, all over the quarterback, you know, five sacks on the day, forced a fumble. There was plenty of pressure in and around Wentz all game long, um, you know, and, and they got the job done yet again. In terms of the Eagles, they've now obviously dropped back behind the Cowboys, which I know you'll be pleased about, my friend. Um, But they are now obviously 
back another game and they, they desperately need to get some explosiveness in this offence. They don't really seem to have a big play receiver. Um, you know, no, they're very they're very they're very injured in Philadelphia. I think they lost Lane jo- after Lane Johnson went out. They got absolutely nothing going. There's, there's people all over the place going down for the, for the Eagles. Yeah, that's true. Very true. You know, you, you can't deny that. I think you know if you look at the the, the sort of distribution of the wide receivers um, in terms of their targets over the course of this one, Zach Ertz, you know, won't be a surprise. Was the leading mm. target man. He was targeted eleven times. Nelson Aguilar nine. Dallas Goddard, six, and, and the recently re-signed Jordan Matthews, six. J.J. Um, had a good game, didn't he? <laughs> I, sense, I sense a slight element of sarcasm there, my friend. Yeah, J.J. not even registering on the stat sheet. Was he even active? I have no idea. Yeah, he I'm, I'm he sure he hasn't registered. If he was, they'd have had a celebration over at NFL UK's uh, Twitter, Twitter account. Yeah, very true. But no, certainly didn't show up in the stat sheet. But in, in terms of the overall outlook on this one, you know, importantly for the Patriots, they got the win here. They've got a couple of interesting games coming up against the Cowboys. Chiefs and the Cowboys. Um, so, you know, certainly their level of competition is going to go up, as you've alluded to there. And obviously Baltimore at the minute, a little bit of a runaway train. So big win for the Patriots in the grand scheme of things. And they remain on top of the AFC for the time being, at least. Uh, me and Lawrence called this on Thursday, mate. We said Sunday night football would be a bit of a snooze fest, and unfortunately, that's what you're going to talk us through now. Yeah, I mean, it's awful. Well, this is an awful game. I don't need two minutes to talk about this one. Uh, obviously, the big talking point, Mitch Trubisky, uh, was he benched, wasn't he benched? Chase that Daniel come in for the final drive that uh, amounted to big zero anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, this is tougher to watch than a double coat of paint drying, to be quite honest. Um, not a lot going on the offence side. That obviously, uh, was, was interesting to see Todd Gurley uh, getting... Uh, intimated on the podcast last week, or I think it might be on the betting podcast actually, that uh, Todd Gurley's not had a twenty—is it a twenty-touch game or a double-digit-touch game or something for uh, at all this season, where he's had at least eight for the past four years that he's been in the league, and obviously he got uh, double-digit touches in this one. Now, whether that was down to Robert Woods being inactive for personal reasons just before the game, you know, Brandon Cooks has been out with concussions as well, so it might have been just a case, a consequence of, of situation, to be quite honest. But um, he looked quite good. He looked like he had a bit of zip on him. Uh, Malcolm Brown obviously scoring as well quite late on, uh, sealing the deal. But uh, once I think the Rams got to 14 points, it never really was in doubt, was it? Let's be honest. Uh, Khalil Max, you know. Everyone was ridiculing the trade a while ago. Uh, you know, John Gruden saying, oh, what have you done giving up a first-round pick for a pass rusher? He's been pretty much non-existent. You know, it's not all Khalil with Max fault because he's the one that's getting double-teamed. And especially with the you know, Akeem, is it Akeem Hicks that's been missing recently as well. I think he's actually done for the season. So um, you know, the, the, the offensive lines now can afford to double-team in on, it, on every play. I know it doesn't usually stop Aaron Donald, but uh, he's in a different league all on his own as well. But uh, yeah, Rams coming away with this one with a win, doing what they needed to do, staying in the playoff hunt. Obviously, a big game next week with Seattle and and uh, with Philadelphia, and I think um, there's a, there's another big game Baltimore I think as well. So yeah, Rams Rams did what they needed to do to stay in the in the hunt and obviously keeping pace with San Francisco and uh, and Seattle as well. So um, yeah, did what they needed to do uh, in the Coliseum. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And a big shout out to my new favourite tight end, Ben Braunecker. Caught another <laughs> ball this week, only went for eight yards, so nobody would have seen that on red zone. But uh, I'm going to personally be keeping tabs on him <laughs> as we now go throughout the rest of the season. That catches you up with the big TV games. We're going to now whiz through the rest of the slate in second down. Second down. Okay, interesting slate of games on Sunday. A couple of big comebacks which we'll talk about. And Tim, you're going to open us up with the Falcons and Panthers. Yeah, um, interesting interesting game, this one, for a couple of reasons. Obviously, the scoreline, uh, again, uh, Atlanta shocking shocking everyone that's uh, going through their kind of box scores. Uh, but Raheem Morris uh, seems to have invigorated the team a little bit since the shuffle by Dan Quinn from the, from the bye, obviously following up on their impressive win against the Saints last week, going over to Carolina as well uh, and getting the job done there as well. So extremely hot team after the bye. Uh, continue to roll against a, a Panthers team that were led by Kyle, Kyle Allen and um, he did not look good 
in this game. Uh, another four interception game here. Now lost three of the last four after such his hot start. We're all we were all quick to um, throw Cam Newton down into the trash, but um, maybe there, everyone will be second at guessing that one now. Uh, for the other side, Atlanta. Brian Hill doesn't care about your fantasy teams. He said as much on Twitter as well. So uh, Kenyon Barner with the um, he's a former Panther as well. Fantasy points with a punt return and Quadre Olison with the rushing score. Yeah, interesting, interesting times. Carolina doesn't really get it much easier for them. They travel to New Orleans next week. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, a.k.a. their offense, um, did move into number one, first for the number one by... Let me start there again. He, he moved into first for the number of receptions by a running back through their first three seasons. So personal accolade there for Carolina, but not really too much to shout about otherwise. Yeah, and I'm going to take you now through Denver and Minnesota, which is the absolute description of a game of two halves so <laughs> Denver to everyone's surprise um, shutting out the Vikings in the first half up 20 to nothing and looking really good um, they got a couple of touchdown passes from Brandon Allen to uh, Andy Janovich got one and another I don't, some of these names are fantastic Troy Fumagalli oh um, he's been in the league a while yeah. didn't he um, play for the Chiefs I think I have no idea Good name though. Um, anyway, <laughs> despite his name, <laughs> the um, so twenty to nothing at half time, and whatever was said in the dressing room by Mike Zimmer at half time certainly did the trick, as the Vikings eventually come all the way back in this one uh, to take it. Um, very sort of um, up and down performance in this one, however, and, and Denver did actually have the ball drive in in the last. Um, you know, seconds of the game, mm. and actually had three passes into the end zone, yeah. uh, which you know the Vikings defense then did hold up and, and kept them out. Because I actually thought, watching it, that despite that heroic second half, that it was probably ultimately going to end in defeat. It didn't, and you know, it's a big win for the Vikings. It will feel you know much bigger than any normal win coming back from such a deficit, uh, and they've certainly got momentum on their side in that division that is going to be nip and tuck mm. all the way between them. And the Green Bay Packers, as we've mentioned a couple of times mm. on this show previously. Mm. One thing I will uh, say, sure, sorry, Sean, before you move to me and, and, and Dallas, so it, it's quite funny actually. You had all the earmarks of the Buffalo game last year, didn't it? Where Buffalo went in and just trounced them in the first half and they couldn't recover. So, um, kind of a kind of a, a step forward in the right direction for Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know it was it was a surprise. You know, I don't think many people would have been picking the Broncos in that no. one, and the halftime score was a massive surprise. Yeah. And like you say, um, you know, the, the fact that they've been able to turn that round stands them in good stead. Yeah. Towards the end of the season, so mm. you've already given the preview, mate. You're up next for your Cowboys. Off you go. Yeah, here we go. Talking of uh, peeing down their pants like Denver did. Yeah, Zeke uh, kind of did his on the on the uh, was it on the second second play of the game. Zeke fumble uh, on the opening drive was converted by a former Dallas. Uh, draft pick from last year, seventh rounder Bo Scarborough, uh, who many people will probably be picking up in waivers, but didn't really stop the momentum of Dallas Cowboys. They kind of been, were able to. You know, it's probably lucky that they fumbled on the second play of the game because it gave them all the you know fifty nine minutes to to you know, kind of make amends. So um, yeah, <laughs> Dak did his uh, his hip shake before the game, and he continued that uh, into into the game as well. But Jeff Driscoll talking of shaking hips, he was quite a slippery customer. Uh, you know, threatened to up, upset the apple cart a little bit. There must have been four or five times where he was he was looking as if he was going to get sacked to manage to slip out and and do either make you know, make a throw to, to Danny Amendola or, or do it with his legs as well. So um, they did quite a few sacks there. But I don't know if that says more on on Jeff Driscoll or does on the Cowboys pass rush. But there we go. Uh, talking of Zeke, did score a rushing and receiving touchdown for the first time in over a year. Uh, he snaps a two game dry run uh, of getting in the end zone. Tony Bollard with a with a nice touchdown as well. Uh, Mari Cooper, probably um, one of the afterthoughts in this game, obviously a bit banged up, didn't really look himself actually, but uh, Michael Gallup stepped up and said, hey, I'll take some of that action, some of those targets. Ended with a career day, nine receptions at 448 yards. Stack enjoyed his third 400-yard game uh, of the season. Him and uh, Gallup were leaders in their respective categories uh, prior to obviously to tonight's game. Um, well, actually, the one the one surprising thing actually as well late in the game, and they they were aggressive and decided to pass to Blake Jarwin rather than um, sticking Zeke up the up the gut and making Detroit run you know lose all their timeouts. So that was interesting to see. So um, yeah, Dallas could have been a potential banana spin. Uh, a banana skin, especially after the uh, the first drive uh, miscue, but Dak, you know, came he, he, where everyone else kind of failed. Defense let him down a little bit. He just showed that he's uh, carried the team a little bit. So, um, yeah, came out on an unscathed bigger bigger game next week again when we go to Foxborough. 
Yeah, absolutely, mate. Um, next up is the Saints and the Buccaneers, and a return to, I'm going to call it normal form for James Winston, throwing interceptions left, right and centre. Uh, I continue to be baffled by a game plan that you have a quarterback that throws the ball to the opposition more often than to your own team, and you still only rush the ball for six occasions. Um, just a completely and utterly bizarre game plan. Yes, I know they were down on the scoreboard, but they, you know, they were only down, um, you know, by 13 points at the end of the first quarter. Um, they were only down 13 points at the half. You know, it wasn't complete blowout here. Um, you know, and although the final score line of 34 to 17 um, suggests it was a comfortable Saints win, and you know, it probably was. It, I don't think it was that kind of game that. You know, they should have abandoned the running game as early as they did. Um, I think there's a real serious question coming up in Tampa, whether it's this off-season or between now and the end of the season, in terms of what they do at that position, um, because you know certainly Jameis isn't getting it done. Um, one of the most bizarre fumbles you will see in this one, um, well, it wasn't a fumble, it actually went down as one of his interceptions. Um, <laughs> so to be fair to Jameis, probably cancel that one. The AJ, uh, OJ Howard behind the back catch, slash um, interception. Very bizarre play if you haven't seen it. Um, but that one um, you know, was was one of the turnovers that the Saints defence forced. In terms of the Saints, a bit of a bounce-back game for them. Obviously, humbled the previous week by the Falcons and held without a touchdown. No such problems this week. Drew Brees throwing three through the air. And a good day in terms of receiving for Michael Thomas, who continues to break records. He is on pace for the NFL single season reception mark, and he's looking a, a, a pretty fine bet to do just that. Mm. Alvin Kamara much more involved this week. He received um, 10 passes out the backfield as well as 13 carries. Um, he was up over 120 all-purpose yards, certainly looking a little bit more like himself. Um but a fairly routine game here for the Saints as they get back in the win column. Uh, next up, in terms of team back in the win column, mate, the Bills, who took care of the Dolphins. Yeah, absolutely. And Josh Allen and John Brown blow up game here. Josh Allen, probably one of his best performances in a Buffalo uh, Bills jersey. Um, you know, 21 of 33, 256 yards and three touchdowns, plus 56 rush yards and a rushing TD as well. I think he was a QB1 in fantasy this week, just pipping old Lamar Jackson. John Brown, nine catches, 137 yard, uh, yards and two touchdowns. I think it's in his second game where he's had multiple touchdowns in his career. That was off 14 targets as well. I think he he uh, had double the receptions of any other Brown, uh, the Buffalo Bill uh, in, that, in that game as well. So it just shows you that connection. John Brown's shown himself to be the number one I always thought he was when he was all the way back in Arizona when he had all the muscle injuries. But uh, to be fair to Miami, kept fighting despite being you know 16 nil down, Fitz being, Fitzpatrick being sacked seven times, fumbles, kick returns, everything for Miami. Uh, but so despite a lost season, which probably you know, this, this season may get forgotten about quite quickly to be quite honest, but... You know, if you are in a game where you're facing Miami or you're watching a game that have got Miami and it's uh, quite a fun one to watch, there's always stuff going on. So, uh, yeah, another fun one, 37-20, to 20, the final here in South Florida. Um, yeah, quite a fun game. Yeah, it was. Um, nice couple of plays in this one. It's only in a kick return that we don't see very often and a recovered onside kick. I think that's the first time that's happened from a team to sort of do both of those for quite some time. So, yeah, good to see um, an entertaining game in that one. Um, a game that wasn't very entertaining, a bit like you said about the Houston game, it was a bit of a blowout, was the Jags and the Colts, and the Colts dominated this one up front in particular. Um, so Jacoby Brissett was back under centre, well protected, and this um, offensive line, we said right at the start of the season, had the potential to be one of the best, if not the best in the game, and they were opening up holes on the ground left, right and centre. 200-yard rushes in this one, which is not something you see all that often, but Marlon Mack... He went for over 100 before picking up an injury. And then Jonathan Williams, who came in to replace him, I think I'm right in saying was probably about fourth or fifth on the depth chart with all the injuries they've had at running back. He came in and added 116 on 13 carries in the second half. Uh, the, the best rush of the day, though, is probably the one that didn't get rewarded, and that's the Quinton Nelson <laughs> now touchdown. Yeah. Um, I've got to say, for, first and foremost, I've got to say, what an absolutely... Awful call from the line judge. You could tell watching it live, he was stuffed a good yard short of the end zone. And bizarrely, the official come running in, claiming a touchdown had been scored. Uh, kind of glad he did, though, because he gave us a view of 
quite possibly the most rehearsed celebration of yeah. the weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But good Lord, it was awful. They, they really struggled to get that guy up in the air, didn't they? God bless them. <laughs> well, he must have um, got £300. Bloody hell. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, would, I wouldn't like to put him on my back, mate. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, in terms of the Jags, a return for Nick Foles. Um, and I think, unfortunately for them, the rest of this season is probably going to be about can Nick Foles develop a little bit of chemistry in that offence. Outside of DJ Chark, who we targeted a ridiculous 15 times in this one, which was doubly targeted anybody else. You could tell that everyone's getting used to each other in terms of the timing, etc., etc. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I've got a horrible feeling for Jags fans that the season is going to fade away a little bit. I think the, the Colts and the Texans will be the class of that division ultimately, although the Titans have a habit of sticking around and will probably end up around the 8-8, eight 9-7 eight, mark as they always tend to do. Um, so in, in terms of the final in this one, oh, I've, I've lost the score, mate, in all that 30, excitement. 33 to 39. Thank you, my Some, friend. Something like that. It was certainly a good hiding, let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, and that sets me up nicely, mate, for another good hiding, Jets and Skins. Yeah, but it's all right, though, uh, Sean, because the Redskins have got into the end zone. So I thought, I just <laughs> uh, I thought it was just worthy. Celebrate good times, you know. Get beat by God, how long? How many points? And um, yeah, you got in the end zone. So that's 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 great. Um, yeah. So like I say, they didn't get in the end zone just once, but just the twice. That's nice. It's Darius Geis. Um, yeah, should be a rapper, really, shouldn't I? Uh, yeah, but yeah. Let's let's not make any bones about it. The Jets stumped the Washington Redskins. Uh, Jets way too good here. Donald looked good. Probably actually one of his career performances as well. Talking of uh, Josh Allen a bit early, obviously came out in the same draft class. Um, Robbie Anderson, he's remembered how to catch a ball. He caught one in the end zone as well early on. Uh, the defence and Jamal Adams absolutely feasted. Uh, Jamal Adams doubling his sack tally pretty much on the season. So, um, it's actually it's quite funny actually to see Haskins on the sideline with his offensive line, kind of having to go go at them and belittling them a little bit, asking them, you know, what does he need to do to to get them to perform? Because uh, yeah, uh, down thirty four three, what in the fourth quarter here? Uh, yeah, not good, not good at all for Washington. There's a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble going on there. They're going to be top five picks for the next couple of years, I think. Um, but uh, I'll tell you what, Sean, let's just let's just play the music again because it was probably the best bit you can say about the Washington Redskins. And I suppose because they've got two touchdowns, I think it's warranted that they get two of those. So um, that's all I've got for this game. <laughs> Lawrence will be very happy with that, my friend. Very happy indeed. Just another shout out here for tight ends with great names. Jeremy Sprinkle, that's another belter. Mm. I'm going to start, I'm going to actually write a book about all these names in the NFL because there are some absolute belters out there. Shame he was, uh, uh, was outshadowed by Ryan Griffin, though. Yeah, but in terms of on the performance, yeah, but come on, Ryan Griffin or Jeremy Sprinkle, if you're yeah. going to be named one or the other, I'm going Jeremy Sprinkle. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, absolutely. there's yeah, not yeah, even yeah. a contest. Yeah, yeah, turn the tap on. <laughs> Next game on the schedule for us here, Bengals and Raiders. So this is a team with a decent tight end in Darren Waller, um, but it was a pretty ugly game here as well, to be fair, but the Raiders got the job done. Pretty ugly because when it got to the red zone, the Raiders pretty much stalled. They had a, a costly fumble early on. Josh Jacobs putting the ball on the ground and only went two of four in the red zone. Um, but fair play here to the Bengals' defence, who played pretty hard throughout this one. Unfortunately, they're just not getting enough production on the offensive side of the ball. Um, it was the first rushing touchdown of the season for Joe Mixon. Uh, it was actually the first rushing touchdown from anybody on the Bengals outside of Andy Dalton, um, which you know probably tells you its own tale as we're now in week 11 of the season. Um, but Derek Carr had a rushing score as well as finding the other tight end in this offence, Foster Moreau, for two yards out. And that was pretty much all she wrote. Like I said, the, the lack of um, offensive firepower from the Bengals, clearly evident. Ryan Finley... Only completed 13 out of 31, uh, which obviously is not what you want to see. It's very, yards. It, was, it, was very, it was very rare to see Derek Carr going into the end zone, actually, without fumbling the ball. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Mate. Very <laughs> true. Yeah, it, uh, it certainly has cost him in his career, but uh, like I say, on, on this occasion, he uh, managed a three-yard scamper. Good run, that, uh, actually. And all, 
Yeah, and, and ultimately, like I say, an ugly one, but it's in the wing column. The Raiders won't care, and obviously, they very much in the playoff picture, which we're going to talk about shortly. The Bengals, the Bengals only lost by seven, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> before we talk playoffs, mate, finish us off with the Cardinals and that below-average San Francisco. <sighs> team. I'm, I'm, I'm right. I'm telling you, this team are at, uh, such phonies. First three drives, two yards, sixteen to nothing down. Yes, fair play. They brought it back. Uh, methodic, uh, methodic, methodic, methodically bringing it back. Um, despite, yeah, two interceptions by Jimmy G. Absolutely god awful. Forty um, Niners did it late and then put two two cherries on the top with that flattering defensive uh, defensive score, killing me in home fantasy league as well. So I really appreciated that. Um, that's pretty much karma. What I will say though is Carl Uzcheck. Uh, is a big piece of that offense. I know he's a fullback, and I think that's his uh, official position anyway. But uh, he had a career game, and Ross Dwelly, you know, nicking all of uh, what would be George Kittle's touchdowns, and you know, just play. If you're in fantasy football, whoever's playing the Arizona Cardinals, just pick up their tight, the other, the opposite tight end, and, and just stream them because uh, they're just going to get a lot of production. The everyone, everyone seems to be able to light up the Cardinals. I think if you look at the splits between Jimmy and for Jimmy Garoppolo on splits between the Cardinals games and versus everyone else, uh, it's it's night and day so uh, I'm sticking with it I'm going to die on the hill I don't care I uh, did enjoy Debo Samuel's performance though he got the job done um, quite a lot of short stuff and, and yak yardage as well that's what they uh, predicate their game on uh, run game wasn't there this today though which is a bit unusual 18 attempts for just 27 yards modus operandi pretty much um, in terms of the short dink and dunk stuff they got the Packers next week as well I think that's the late game isn't it uh, Sunday night football game so hopefully Green Bay come in and blow the doors off of them uh, what I will say is D Ford, interesting injury. I think it's a hamstring, uh, so he might miss a few games as well. So, um, yeah, they're starting to fall like flies over there in San Francisco. Quick note on Arizona, Kyle Murray had another great game, and they ended it essentially in defeat, but he um, he's acquitted himself well so far in the NFL. David Johnson did not, though. He did not even touch the ball, so I'm not quite sure whether that was scripted, injury-related. He didn't appear on the injury report, so um, strange going on there. Uh, I know Kenny and Drake handled the majority of the work. They even said as much that they would uh, go to a committee, so um, telling Porky Pies over there in Arizona. Uh, but Cardinals now scored but 25, uh, more than 25 points in five of their last six, whereas before it was one in 15. So it uh, just shows you the improvement of Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray getting to work over there in Arizona. So good, well, say so, uh, uh, optimistic times ahead over there uh, in Arizona. Yeah, I would agree. I'm always impressed with Kyler Murray. And, you know, at one point in this one, I knew you'd be getting excited, mate, when they uh, blew it up into a 17 to nothing lead. Oh. Um, it did look really good at one point. But, I, was on, uh, I was on my starting block, Sean. <laughs> Lawrence's sandwich is still on order I'm afraid we'll wait and see how that pans <laughs> you out jinxed it. Yeah. you jinxed right, it right there we go that is your week 11 roundup complete so as we like to do on a Monday we're going to drop you some stats very shortly and as we're getting towards the playoffs we'll start looking at what the playoff picture's like as we move into third down third down Stats Life. Okay, mate, one of our favourite little segments that we've started doing, Stats Life. One thing I always love about the NFL is the amount of records that are kept and the amount of info that you can get quite quickly from the internet. So we always like to share a few golden nuggets with people. So start us off this week, mate. Amazed me with some numbers. Yeah, well, you actually nicked one of mine during the uh, Bengals game. Is just the uh, the three yard r- yard rush by touch d- t- uh, touchdown by Joe Mixon, the first rushing touchdown by someone not named Andy Dalton. So uh, he's got actually got three on the season as well. So uh, I think that obviously just is an indictment on the uh, Bengals offensive line. But yeah, Joe Mixon is a despite what you might think of him off the field, is a very talented running back on the field. Um, so for him to you know get to week eleven and it be his first rushing touchdown. Uh, he's quite something. I know he had a receiving one last week as well. So um, I'm not saying go out and buy him in Dynasty because that, that offensive line is awful. Uh, although they've got a couple of pieces coming back maybe next year. They'll probably draft someone else that will go and get injured anyway. But um, I know I, I've been a big fan of Joe Mixon for a couple of years. But um, yeah, it was interesting to see that it took him 11 games to get in through the ground. He's almost yep. to the point where actually as well, when he, when he gets into the end zone, he's kind of forgotten what to do because he just shakes his body about. <laughs> that's what I, yeah, that's what I do when I get a free Nando's. 
It was actually a nice little moment, to be fair to him, on Sunday, because he'd actually got a number of his family in the crowd, hadn't he? And I think he's from that area, and it was actually a nice moment, because at the time, obviously, that put the Bengals up. So, you know, it was a, a touchdown worth celebrating, so to speak, and yeah. a, a nice moment as he actually gave one of his family the, uh, the ball from that touchdown. So... Nice little job there. I'm going to give another running back a little bit of love, and you've already played the celebration music, mate, so get it queued up again. <laughs> Darius Geis, his receiving touchdown had snapped a 16-quarter stretch of now touchdowns by the Redskins. That stretch was the longest by any team since the year 2000, and that was by the Ravens when they went 21 quarters without a score. Um, and that team actually, believe it or not, went on to win the Super Bowl. So, Lawrence... All he's not lost, my friend. Maybe those skins have got a very light run. In <laughs> there you go. Third appearance. Go on, mate. Give us your second one. Um, okay, my second one. Give me two seconds. Uh, the Eagles had a 16-play, 95-yard t- touchdown drive against the Patriots, which was the longest touchdown drive in terms of yardage that the Patriots have allowed uh, since week four in 2011 when they allowed a 99-yard up to the Raiders. So, yeah, eight, eight years. That's, that's a long one. Yeah, it certainly it probably goes to show that as well. We talked about it during the game preview, didn't it? The game review, sorry, not preview. Um the quality of the defence on on both sides of the ball on Sunday. You know, you take that drive out of the Eagles and, you know, I think they've essentially managed around about 100 yards of offence for the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I said it at the time, but there was 11 punts in that second half. I mm-hmm. mean, that's an awful lot of two things, either poor offensive play or good defensive play. And, you know, we often don't give defences enough credit, so I'm going to give it somewhere that's due. Mm. Um, but, yeah, uh, really yeah. good drive, that one, in yeah. terms of chewing the clock. Yeah, the other one, the, yeah, I mean, the Patriots as well. Like, the first three drives, I think the um, the Eagles scored their 10 points on their first three drives and then just got shut out for the rest of the game. So Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Uh, more running back love coming from me, um, and we like this man on this podcast, Frank Gore, good old father time. He has now carried the ball over three and a half thousand times in his career, and he's only the fourth player to do that. And there's some big names on here that have done it. Curtis Martin, who Frank will be very soon passing, I would suggest, because Curtis Martin had 3,518. And then he's probably got a bit of a ways to go to catch up with Walter Payton, who's got 3,838, and Emmett Smith with 4,409. But the way Frank Gore's going, I wouldn't be surprised to see him playing in another five years. So who knows, maybe Evan Smith's uh, record might be in danger. I say that in jest. Surely it's time for Frank Gore to retire sooner rather than later. Mm. Yeah, I was, when, I, when I say when you uh, when when he first moved to Buffalo, you kind of wondered why he was going from Miami, the uh, the retirement state, up to Buffalo. But yeah, he's done him done himself okay out there. He has indeed. Okay, uh, I'm going to finish it off with a bit more, uh, bit more running back love. Some Todd Gurley stats for you here. Todd Gurley had 94 scrimmage yards through the first half of Sunday Night Football, which is more yards than he's had in any of his previous seven full games. But not only that, through the first Rams' uh, first six plays, Todd Gurley racked up 23 rushing yards and 23 receiving yards on five touches. That marked the first game of the season where he had 20 yards, both rushing and receiving, and that was through five touches uh, on uh, Sunday Night Football last night so just shows you if you feed them we'll go and get some yards yeah absolutely and uh, you know we've talked a little bit around the lack of um, production out of Jared Goff and it makes sense you're paying him all that money get Gurley involved and see what he can produce for you Mm. I'm going to finish it off and I'm amazed you haven't gone for this one mate with him being your guy Dak (laughs) Prescott He's third game with 400-plus passing yards and three or more touchdowns. It's the only quarterback since 1950 with more games like that in his first four seasons. That quarterback, Dan Marino. So things looking good, mate. That guy is going to get paid rather handsomely rather soon, I would suggest. Yep. Right, that's caught us up with a few stats. Share us yours on Twitter, hit us up. There's plenty out there. We like to bring you a few each week. Um, But like I say, if we miss some really good ones, share them with us and we'll get them mentioned over at Fall 10 Yards. As we are now into week 11 and we'll be heading into week 12 as, as Thursday night football rolls around, we want to start every week to just get you up to speed with where we are in terms of the playoff picture. Um, so we're not going to spend a huge amount of time on it, but just run through where things currently stand after the pod we did last week, where we started talking around the six seed or potential six seeds in the conferences. So let's just get you up to speed with where we are. 
We'll start off in the AFC. So, seed number one, New England, 9-1 and one record. Seed number two, Baltimore Ravens with an 8-2 and two record. Both of those looking pretty strong, you would suggest, at this stage for the first round bye. Yep. Um, as the next teams on this list have only got six wins, and that's the Colts in the three seed at 6-4. and four. They're there based on their head-to-head record with Houston, who have the same record, and that's why Thursday Night Football is such a huge game. And we'll talk about that on Thursday. Um, and the fourth seed is Kansas City, who are also at six and four, and obviously are on the Monday Night Football this evening. In terms of your wild cards, Buffalo got back in the win column, seven and three. Uh, still not overly convinced on Buffalo, only based on the fact that they are, as we said last week, beating the teams you would expect them to beat. But you can only beat what's in front of you, and they've got the job done. And then in the sixth seed is the Houston Texans, who drop out of the division lead back into the wild card based on that head-to-head record that I've just mentioned. In terms of still alive, you've got the Raiders at six and four, so certainly very much knocking on the door. The Pittsburgh Steelers at five and five, the Tennessee Titans at five and five. And then you have three teams at four and six, which are the Browns, the Jags and the Chargers. I think everybody else you can pretty much now write off. And we actually have our first officially eliminated team, hey. which is the Cincinnati Bengals, sorry. who obviously are still looking for their first win. Sorry, Adam. Um, sorry, Adam, indeed. <laughs> um, but we um, move over to the NFC. And in the one seed is still those average San Francisco 49ers with the 9-1 and record. Green Bay Packers, 8-2 in the north, and the New Orleans Saints in the third seed at 8-2 in the south. Those three teams looking pretty good, and you would have to say the wild cards are looking pretty strong as well because you've got the Seahawks at 8-2 and and the Vikings at 8-3. The one that we said would be nip and tuck throughout the season is probably the East Division winner. Obviously, the Cowboys back in front in that regard now at 6-4 and four following this weekend's action. And the Eagles at 5-5. Five and five. Um, So, potential there that the Eagles and the Cowboys might flip and flop throughout the rest of the year. In terms of the playoffs, I think it's a bit of a stretch to really say that there's many teams still alive, other than potentially the Rams at 6-4. and four, And even they, you feel, would have to go on a bit of a run to claw back two games this late in the season. Carolina at five and five, and then the Bears are at four and six. Everybody else is way, way back. And to be honest, although there's nobody in the NFC, so it officially eliminated, um, I think we can pretty much say that it's probably down to those five teams pretty much locked in, just be a case of what position and, you know, will the Eagles or the Cowboys come out on top in the East? Yeah. That gets you up to speed in terms of where we are with the playoffs and has got you some numbers in your ears. So for fourth down, we'll have a little debate as we like to do on a Monday. Fourth down. Okay, we mentioned it earlier. Thursday night football didn't make an awful lot of news, did it? Uh, Not quite. Um, Obviously, massive headline news coming out of this one. Essentially was what was created in the final eight seconds of the game. Uh, the game dead and buried pretty much from a result perspective, you know, garbage time. And for whatever bizarre reason, a huge fracas erupted. Um, and ultimately, it ended up with Miles Garrett swinging the helmet of Mason Rudolph as a weapon. Multiple players have ended up already with suspensions. I would expect a nice portion of fines to come down shortly as well. But in terms of the fallout from it, Larry Ogunjobi, defensive tackle for the Browns, suspended one game. Marquise Pouncey, centre for the Steelers, suspended three games. <laughs> and the big headline one, of course, Miles Garrett, suspended indefinitely. Now, has to be said, all three players are appealing those decisions. Um, Pouncey and... Uh, Oak and Joby are being heard tomorrow, so Tuesday, if you're listening to the podcast uh, tonight. Um, and Miles Garrett, his appeal is scheduled for Wednesday. So, Tim, I'm going to come to you first and foremost, my friend. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts firstly on the incident. We'll touch on that briefly. And then, more importantly, I want to get your view really on the suspensions. Do you think it's right? Do you think it's a little bit over the top? Where, where's your sort of viewpoints on it? Yeah, so the incident itself, I mean, you know, for people trying to decide what side of the fence they are in, in terms of who um, who instigated it, it's kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, the black and blue dress all thing all over, all over again, wasn't it? Or maybe the, uh, was it the Geno Smith heads or tails call last week or the week before? 
Um, very, very divisive, actually, which is very, very strange. Um, not going to get into who started it or who because I don't really care, to be quite honest. But, um, yeah, it was just an interest in how it escalated so quickly. I mean, Ron, even Ron Burgundy's sitting there thinking, well, I haven't even got words for that. But, um, obviously, Mark, what Miles Garrett did was, was stupid. And I think as soon as he got over to the sideline, he realised how stupid he, he's been. And, obviously, he's been, you know, his, his teammates have obviously brought the hammer down on him as well with their you know Brett Baker's post uh, post game comments and Freddie's as well and um be interesting to see how they kind of deal with Miles Garrett's suspension because obviously it's indefinitely I just wonder if they're doing that just to see how much of how much it, it lingers on for how much um you know discussion because you know Goodell doesn't like bad PR for, for for too long as well so depending on how long it obviously I, th- I think it will blow down by the time next week's game start to be quite honest uh although you know you've got the two teams playing again the week after so um you know you can't really go away too much and obviously the, the broadcasting team are going to make sure that they you know re re-evaluate re- re- what's went on uh, last Thursday so um be, I, I think What's interesting is they can't just suspend him and say until the end of the season. They they have to actually specify a number of games. Um, so whether or not, I, I think to be honest, he'll, he'll get ten games just so that uh, a if they if the Browns do by happen you know by way of miracle get into the playoffs, ten games will take them all the way you know to to the Super Bowl. So um, and even if they don't make the the, the playoffs, you know missing the first four games of next season doesn't seem that bad of. Uh, that you know that kind of a, that bad of a of a punishment. So I think ten games is kind of where they, they'll kind of sit with. Um, it was quite interesting to see that they used obviously the word uh, indefinitely. I, you know, big shout out to Marquis Pouncey. He was quite funny the way he started coming in on Miles Garrett. That was great. That was uh, Street Fighter stuff. That was um, <laughs> yeah um, yeah. I so say apart from the PR side, which say the NFL doesn't like to to bring up on itself because they never seem to be good at uh, handing out judgments and. And suspensions and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, I, I, obviously you you might have a different opinion. I, I think the suspension, if I'm being honest, is a, is an absolute load of cods. Well, mate, I'll be completely honest. Although a, a, an indefinite suspension was was way, way, way over the top. Um, I know you say you're not bothered about who started it, and that sounds a little bit playground. You know, he said, she said type of thing. But mm. I do think it's important in this because I think if you actually look at the play, you know. Mason Rudolph hadn't had a great game. He'd thrown four interceptions. He'd been sacked a number of times. And, yeah. you know, he, he wasn't probably in a great space. Now, Garrett takes him down. He takes him down late. I'll give you that. I've got no defence for that. I mean, you know, the only defence you would say is he didn't really slam him to the turf. He, he made sure he was on the ground. And, you know, whether he knew the ball was there or not, only he will know that. Um Rudolph then essentially is the one that instigates the sort of trying to actually grab Garrett's helmet off, mm-hmm. um, and you know would appear, I and stress would appear to kick him in the nether regions to say politely, um, and ultimately then once Garrett rips his helmet off, he actually then goes running after him for a bit more. Um, you know, who knows what would have happened if he hadn't gone running after him, whether Garrett would have swung that helmet at one of the linemen that were up with him or not. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, only he will know that. So I do think it is important, and I'm not, I'm not sort of defending his action. You know, I don't think anybody can get away with swinging a helmet without expecting some sort of penalty. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I was expecting, if I'm honest, I was expecting six games um, because I thought, you know, as you've said there, you know, and I know I'm the biggest homer going in terms of the Browns might make the Super Bowl and all the rest of it because I want to believe the hype. Um, but realistically, it's a long shot for them mm-hmm. to do that. I thought six games would cover basically to the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that would be, you know, more than sufficient. Um, I think they have dropped a little bit of a clangor because by their own CBA, they actually can't give an indefinite suspension for something that's happened on the field. Yeah. Is essentially the wording. So it will be interesting to see what the ruling is coming out of Wednesday. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, th- I think they're just letting it, gonna let it die down and see what happens and see, let, let, which the NFL has a precedent of doing, which is, you know, it's not, I'm not saying it's right, but, and like just to, just to your point about, obviously, about Mason Rudolph appearing to do what he did. Yeah. Yeah. He did. I, I can see where he, 
appeared to try and take Miles Garrett's helmet off, and um, yeah, obviously that was the wrong thing to do. And yeah, when you say he kicked him in the groin, I mean he hardly t- he didn't take a running punt at him, did he? But um, yeah, he shouldn't have obviously kicked out. But then you know, if Mar- I, I I think there must have been something something said in between all that because there's no way that you know what what usually kicks these players off, or even in any sport, if you say something in the heat of the moment, it's the words that do the damage. It's not necessarily like a you know, a, all right. I'm not going to say a boot to the groin, but you know, kind of a you know, a kick out and uh, you know, attempting to take his helmet off. So it must have something must have been said that that really got him going because Miles Garrett is usually quite placid. He's not he's not a guy that that does that kind of thing. Not that not that anyone swings helmets about, but um, yeah, yeah. Miles Garrett still chose to to react the way he did, and I know yeah, Mason Rudolph should I probably should have had a a slightly bigger uh, punishment as well for. For his part in it, but um, yeah, like I say with regards to the indefinite stuff, I think it's just that I think the NFL have a precedent of of letting things play out and seeing seeing how bad the reaction is, and from the PR perspective, and then kind of make a judgment there, which is probably the wrong thing to do. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. And it has been quite interesting to see how polarising it's got. Some players have come out in defence of Garrett, some are obviously in defence of Rudolph, and it'll be interesting to see which way it comes down. Um, I'm in the camp, to be honest, that it's punishment enough for the Steelers that Rudolph continues to play quarterback. So <laughs> hopefully hopefully he's suiting up for them next week, mate. And I think the NFL have missed an opportunity there. They should have flexed that to Sunday night football, yeah. given them all a pair of boxing gloves and got ready for round two. Just after, uh, just after WWE SmackDown. Absolutely, mate. Whatever you want to say about it, the Browns and Steelers rivalry, if it was dead, it's very much back alive. And that's that's only a good thing as long as it's obviously kept clean on the field. It's good to actually see a rivalry where two sides are going at it. And, you know, hopefully, um, like you say, this will blow over. Um, and fingers crossed from a Browns perspective that Garrett's back sooner rather than later because he's obviously the best defender that he's on that team. Can they not just right, transfer Reverend. it to Jason Garrett? Sorry, mate. Can I not just transfer the suspension to Jason Garrett? <laughs> That's a very good suggestion, mate. I'll let you email Roger Goodell and see how far you get with that. Wrongful dismissal. Uh, indeed. Right, mate, we better get a move on because I can see the referees running in. Must be time for the two minute warning. That's the two minute warning. Okay, two minutes to go, mate. You know more about the full 10 yards than, than I do as the captain of the ship. So over to you, mate. What does everybody need to know about this week? There's an iceberg coming. No, joking. Um, <laughs> yeah, lots of stuff going on over at full 10 yards. We've got some new guys coming on board, hopefully, as well. So watch out for some new content, some slightly different stuff on there. Uh, Going to be tweaking our fantasy fantasy uh, content as well in the next uh, couple of weeks. And we're also touring around with a bit of video stuff as well. But in terms of content that is on the website, don't forget to check out any Britball lovers out there I interviewed the uh, head coach of the Dunfermline Kings Alistair Choate uh, about their uh, their entrance into the 2020 Britball League so any Britball people go and check that out today was the uh, waiver column from Andy Moore that's up there as well and then tomorrow is your usual or if you're listening to it on a Tuesday it's today you go go and find the uh, full 10 takeaways uh, which will be written by Lawrence uh, college stuff again uh, Lee and Maxwell and all the boys will be back on Tuesday a bit later on today if you're listening to it on Tuesday um, yeah so lots of good lots of good stuff going on so Fantasy Pod should be back as well this week and again obviously it all comes back round to us on Thursday it does indeed mate the season is flying by uh, we'll soon be at the playoff stretch but a couple of big games coming up as we've alluded to in week 12 so looking forward to getting back with you on Thursday mate to break it all down mm-hmm. and give everyone an insight into what's coming up this weekend but with that being said, mate, we've got to close, so I'll hand over to you just to say goodbye. No, no, you can do it. Go on. Goodbye. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it as well as you, mate. And me, me and Lawrence had a bit of a chuckle. None, none of us are quite in your league, but go on, I'll give it a go. Yeah. So it's bye-bye from Tim. Yeah, see you later, fellas. And it's goodbye from me in the great words of Kevin Cadle. It's a bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. for listening to the full 10 yards podcast follow us on facebook or twitter at full 10 yards or email the show full 10 yards at gmail.com